Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great website that gives you history the way it was intended to be told? With no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. Well, I've got it for you. It's LearnTrueHistory.com. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. Learn history from great professors who don't sugarcoat it for you. This is not for your delicate flowers. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. LearnTrueHistory.com. Com. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 46. So glad to have you back on the program. I think I have a topic today that's rather interesting, and uh, I might be going again where angels fear to tread. So stay with me. If you're a fan of this podcast, it probably won't be controversial, but if you've just stumbled across this and you're listening to this, uh, particularly if you are a traditional Republican, it might be offensive to you for me to discuss this topic because I'm going to bash the Republican Party. More importantly, I'm going to bash the Republican Party in terms of foreign policy. So this is really an area where I think... um, The Trump campaign has uh, brought out the idea of non-interventionism to the fore, because uh, you know Trump has said, "Look, we didn't need to get involved in Iraq. Uh, That was a disaster. It was a bad idea. But now that we're in there, we got to we got to win the war, essentially." So, but he's still saying, "I, "I think the idea of American foreign policy and having a foreign policy where we are intervening in every country around the globe is a pretty bad idea." And that, of course, brings up the, in which I've talked about in this podcast before, you know, what is a conservative, traditionally conservative foreign policy? Well, generally, all throughout history, the conservatives, it doesn't really matter what country you're talking about, have been anti-imperialists. Uh, you know, for example, we'll just go back to, to Greek history and look at uh, the uh, Peloponnesian War. And the fact is the conservative party generally were those who were interested in preserving peace with Sparta, whereas the liberals in Athens were those who were interested in war. And it's really interesting as you go through time that that tends to be the case. I mean, if you look at just moving forward into American history, almost every major war in American history has been instigated by a progressive. And so when we start talking about foreign policy and we say we're traditional Republicans and we support you know, uh, liberty and democracy around the world, freedom for all. That's not a conservative position. That's a progressive position. That's Wilsonian. And I think sometimes we forget that, but it's true. Uh, And so today I want to talk about pop culture in regard to foreign policy. And uh, I've been watching a show on Discovery Channel called Taking Fire. In this particular, it's it's a docudrama in some ways, um, kind of like uh, you know, Deadliest Catch or one of these shows. But what happened was they, they went out and they took some uh, GoPro footage from a group of soldiers, 101st Airborne soldiers, who were sent over to Afghanistan in 2010. And this was right about the time Obama was talking about a buildup in Afghanistan. And they were going to uh, stop some of the flow of weapons moving from Pakistan into Afghanistan. And so these soldiers were deployed. They're all in their 20s, early 20s, you know, 22, 23, maybe 24, somewhere in there. 
and it follows them around. Uh, some of the people they follow had been in Iraq before, maybe had served a couple tours there. Uh, in fact, one of the characters, uh, one of the one of the men who was uh, early on. I mean, these are not characters. I mean, they're 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 real people, but uh, he was um, gravely wounded in an IED attack, uh, broke his back. And uh, so he's one of the one of the uh, narrators, essentially, for the show. One of the people they interview, and he had already served a couple of tours before that. And he said, you know, this was uh, he expected something bad to happen on the third tour, and it did. Uh, he, he, the two other men in his vehicle, his MATV, were uh, were killed, and he uh, had his back snapped in half, basically. He survived, but he's paralyzed. So this got me thinking about foreign policy. And when you see this thing and you're watching it unfold, um, several things go through my mind. And there's a couple other shows that I want to compare to this particular show, Taking Fire. I'd I'd highly recommend watching it. It, It's very interesting if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, But there's two other shows that I think are uh, similar, and there's some, some things I want to talk about with them. So you've got Taking Fire, which is currently airing on Discovery Channel. Years ago, uh, about seven or eight years ago, uh, HBO ran a series entitled Generation Kill. And it was about the Iraq invasion in 2003. And it was based on a series of essays that appeared in Rolling Stone magazine by an embedded reporter. Now, 2003, things were much different in terms of the equipment that men had as they were going into Iraq. Uh, the situation was much different. Of course, we had a different president at that time. George W. Bush was still president. Now we're talking about Obama, and I'm going to look at. I'm going to talk about that in a second. How that's interesting. And then there was another show that um, I think it was on Discovery Channel again. Uh, it was entitled "Surviving the Cut," and this followed around the elite American units like the Navy SEALs or the pararescue group uh, Rangers. And it went through what these people would have to do, mostly men. Uh, and I think in all the programs, they, there were very few women, if, if any, if I can recall correctly. It's been a while since I watched it. But uh, And the training that they would have to undergo to become part of these elite units, the physical training, the mental training, you know, the combat training, what these, what these soldiers would have to endure to ensure that they could survive the cut, they could become part of these very elite units. And so I want to talk about the continuity between these three things and look at American foreign policy. One thing that I think becomes very clear in all of this um, is that soldiers do what they're told. And I think sometimes, particularly in libertarian circles, there tends to be a little bit of a backlash um, against the U.S. military. When you watch these individuals, when you watch this show Taking Fire, um, it becomes easy to have some sympathy for these people. Now, uh, very easy. I mean, th- these are a lot of them were, you know, serving a Subway. Uh, you know, they're working in Subway, Abercrombie and Fitch, and they decide to join up with the U.S. military because they don't know what else to do with their lives. So, I mean, this is indicative of maybe a larger problem, structural problem with the American economy, and of course, young men in America. Um, you know, what we, we, I mean, this is this is um, something that's been talked about quite a bit. But what are young men going to do nowadays? Uh, we're we're moving into uh, a society in which um, 
men don't have the same type of role as they used to have. And so I think there's a lot of lost souls out there. You have a high rate of, of unemployed males, which was, has never been the case. And it's, it's, really, it's a very much a structural problem in the American economy. So a lot of men, well, they'll join the military. I mean, this is something that's masculine. Uh, you you want to go out and you want to you help the United States. You want to defend the people that are in your community. You believe in the principles behind it. And so you go out and you do it. And soldiers follow orders. And so these young men were sent over to Afghanistan, and they're following orders. And it's a tough situation to be in, without a doubt. And I think that's where I'm going to get into here. You know, same thing with these men who get involved in these uh, elite units. They are interested in being the best. And these are, these are extremely intelligent individuals. They're physically uh, you know, superior individuals, mentally tough. And I think as I watched this, one of the things, the first thing that came to my mind is, it's a shame that these men are being put into this situation. And that's, that's a problem with American foreign policy, not a problem with the military. Now, uh, there is, of course, this issue of what the military should be doing. And I think uh, as you look at it, 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 I, I teach a lot of students who are in the military or are families and military families. And it becomes very hard for them to separate the job that they're doing with American foreign policy because they come intertwined. And I think that's, that's sad because foreign policy and soldiers are two different things. They're being sent somewhere by the American voters or the American political class to do a job. And that policy is incorrect. And that's the real issue here. And I, when I was watching Generation Kill, uh, very early in the show, the, one of the main, main characters in the show, he's a real guy again, his name was Brad Colbert. And he was part of the 1st Reconnaissance Battalion of the United States Marine Corps. And they're riding into Iraq, and he leans out the window of his Humvee. And he yells out to the Iraqi people, Vote Republican. And the embedded reporter Evan Wright caught this, and he couldn't believe it. And he said, Colbert wasn't making a joke. He firmly believed what he was saying. And this is where you get into the Republican Party. So here's Colbert. You have a lot of Republicans who are in the military, and I think military shades to vote that way, and they're voting against their own best interests because they're voting to send themselves into harm's way. Now, we can talk about the best way to combat terrorism in the United States, and it is a real thing. We have issues of this happening all the time now. But I think one of the ways we should not be doing it is to actually go and send troops in an imperial enterprise overseas and put them there and force them to fight an enemy that uh, oftentimes they can't see, uh, they're in they're in compromising situations. Uh, this is this is a bad deal. But again, this is indicative of American foreign policy. Now, the current war in Afghanistan is the longest war in American history, and that's immoral. You can look at any other war in American history. So you take the American War for Independence. Uh, if you go from start to finish, we're talking about a war. That lasted maybe nine years. 
you look at uh, the next major war, the War of 1812, you know, three years. Uh, the War with Mexico, two years. The Civil War, quote-unquote Civil War, which it's really not. It's the, it's the War for Southern Independence, but that's four years. Four years. Uh, the next war, the Spanish-American War, not even a year. World War One, two years. Uh, World War Two, the United States portion of it, about four years. The Korean War, about three years. And then you get to the Vietnam War. And that war, I mean, American troops were in Vietnam for about 11 years. As of today, we've had troops in, Af- in Afghanistan for 14 years. 14 years. There are soldiers now who are going out to fight in Afghanistan who were barely even cognizant of the world when September 11th, 2001 happened. They were maybe two years old, three years old, didn't even know what was going on. The longer we stay in Afghanistan, we're going to have soldiers going over there to fight who weren't even alive when September 11th happened. And what has happened since that time? We've seen an increase, of course, in terror attacks in the United States and overseas. So America has destabilized the region. And this is a problem of American foreign policy. And so as I'm watching this show and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, one of the reasons these men are being attacked, I mean, they're an occupying force. And of course, you can talk about, you know, well, if the United States doesn't fight them there, then they're going to have to fight them here. Well, I think there's ways to keep them out of the United States, but that's going to be a politically incorrect position to take. But there are ways to do it. Uh, unfortunately, our policy has been just to open the door and let them in. So now we're fighting in two different places. We're fighting actually here on the home front, and we're fighting overseas against the same people. And so this becomes an immoral foreign policy at the end of the day. And I think that's the, that's the real downside of imperialism. Because over time... You create a climate where the United States, in the name of liberty and democracy, is becoming the big bully on the block. And I think that's what you saw in Vietnam. And I remember talking to a sergeant years ago, a former sergeant who was in Vietnam. And uh, this is when I was first starting to teach, and he was an older guy. And he said, you know, the thing about Vietnam was that the people there were just simple people. They didn't, they didn't really care what their government was. It didn't matter to them. They just, wanted, they just wanted the imperial army, the imperial faction, whether it was France or the United States, just wanted them out. They didn't care. And I think you see some of that in Afghanistan. Now, of course, you know, we have, um, there is some political games being played there. And the United States tends to feel sorry for this group or that group or whatever the case may be. But that's for those people to decide what kind of system they're going to have. And I remember back when Iraq had finally been, uh, Saddam had finally been killed, and uh, there were some discussions about Iraq. And John Kerry had brought up an idea to partition Iraq and to have ethnic groups control different parts of Iraq. And the Republican Party excoriated him for this. How can you believe in that? But, I mean, essentially, I think this is a very humane idea to, adv- to advocate because you would have had a decentralized Iraq, and you wouldn't have had all this infighting. Now, people would say, yeah, but that's going to create, you know, this group is going to attack this group over time. Maybe. But that's going to happen anyways, 
And uh, when you look at, say, the Kurdish region in the northern part of Iraq, perhaps that group would be better off without having some of the other, uh, some of the other Muslim groups controlling them. Because as they opposed things, they were often slaughtered. And Americans are getting in, in, involved in all this stuff, and our men and women are being slaughtered. So you wonder, you know, Colbert leans out the window and says, vote Republican. What does that get you? What does that get you? For years, it's gotten you a bigger and bigger American empire. This is one reason why people have asked why I'd even consider Donald Trump. Because at least his foreign policy is not that. It's not that. Now, it's not great, but it's not that. He's advancing a much more traditionally conservative position in terms of foreign policy. Now, we can talk about his economic policies, domestic policies, whatever. Okay, there, there's problems with all these people, which is why I say, you know, generally avoid national politics anyways. But if you're going to get involved and you're going to think about things, then Trump, for one reason alone, should be preferable to anybody else who's running. I know we can talk about Gary Johnson or the, the Constitution Party. In fact, later on I'm going to do, as we get close to the election, I will do a podcast on how I think you should vote. Okay, And it's, it's not going to be straight Trump. There's, there's going to be some, some things that I'd like to say about that. But I'll do it as we get closer to the election, probably uh, you know maybe the third week of October, somewhere in there. But that's coming up. The other thing I want to say about this, you know, because I'm, I'm not a millennial, and uh, I'm sure there's some millennials that listen to this podcast. And millennials get a pretty bad rap. They're lazy. They don't want to work. Uh, you know, they have a different view of work. The one thing I can say about millennials that does bother me, and that's their, uh, their propensity for um, being informal. Uh, that, that is that is problematic to me. You know, millennials are are just extremely informal, and I think that that's a problem. At the end of the day, but the way they dress, the way they address people, uh, these that's that's problematic. They, they're perpetual children in that way. But even when they're addressing people, they shouldn't address as their friends. But on the other hand, when you look at the current military and the men and women involved, and uh, when you look at these shows like Taking Fire, these are all millennials. They're 20-year-old kids out there and uh, doing some things that are pretty, uh, you know, pretty scary, right, and uh, intense and challenging. And you look at these men who are going out and surviving the cut. Uh, now, the Generation Kill people, they were not millennials, many of them. Uh, they were generally from my generation. Uh so when you talk about these generational things, I think we need to give millennials credit. You look, millennials, there's a lot of hardworking millennial people out there, and they have really creative ideas and very interesting things to say. I think the problem is they've been told over the years, some of them, the wrong things to think. And I, and I go back, there was one, um, I had a drill sergeant uh, one time in one of my classes, and um, he had been so indoctrinated uh, that it was hard to get through to him about American foreign policy. But the other thing that the military is becoming is, of course, a social experiment. How do we, social, how do we, how do, we do things with, with American civilians? We're going to experiment first in the military, then we'll bring it out to the U.S. You know, the population as a whole. And I think that is problematic. It's a social engineering uh, laboratory in a lot of ways. 
and there are problems with this. So I think when we talk about the military, we need to separate the two. There's foreign policy, and then there's the military. Now, we can talk about wasteful spending in the military. Absolutely. Is it there? Certainly. Uh, Fighting a whole bunch of wars is wasteful. But that's not the military's fault. They're doing what the American people tell them to do. And I do think we should give them credit for going into situations that most of us would not want to be in. These are challenging situations, deadly situations, uh, and the collateral damage from this is not just the men themselves if they make it out when they have some traumatic issues, uh, seeing their friends get killed or wounded or some of the horrible things they see, and then they come back into mainstream society, and it's hard for them. Because, you know, if you look at World War II, they, people had problems there too, but so many people had served in the military. Uh, I think it was easier to integrate back into society at that point, or the Civil War, when you know, the war between the states or war for Southern independence. So many people had fought, they, they kind of just, everyone just accepted what had gone on. But now you have a small percentage of the population that come back in and people don't even think about it. They just go along. So these people have a hard time fitting back in society. And it's not just them, of course. It's their families, their kids. There's a tremendous amount of collateral damage. And that's something we should also think about as well. What are we doing to these to these young men and these families, or young women, too, are involved now, but these families, and how we're tearing those things apart by having an imperialist foreign policy. I would recommend anyone who's in the military to listen to this, don't ever vote Republican again unless it's a Republican who's for a non-interventionist foreign policy. Don't ever vote Democrat again because they're going to do the exact same thing. So I mentioned, you know, I said I was going to talk about Bush and Obama. I mean, it's very clear. Bush was a progressive Republican. Obama is a progressive. And they're not interested in any type of foreign policy that's going to rein in Americans from being involved in overseas action. I mean, you look at Syria. Look at Libya. I mean, Obama just skirts around to the Congress and just does what he wants. He's going to send troops when he wants to. to and this, of course, is completely unconstitutional. But he's going to do it. Bush, same thing. Clinton, George H.W. Bush. I mean, you can go back for 150 years and find the root of all of this, unfortunately, is the war between the states and the aftermath of that. Reconstruction. We're in the 150th anniversary of Reconstruction, and what you find with that is an expansion of American foreign policy. So... From the war to end slavery to the war to liberate Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, we've had 150 years of bringing liberty and democracy to heathen parts of the world. And they've been called wars for humanity's sake, but humanity is not really involved here at all. And as you watch shows like Generation Kill and Taking Fire and Surviving the Cut, keep that in mind. There's no humanity there, not for our own soldiers even. There's no humanity. And, of course, they talk about, well, we're going to provide schools and we're going to do this and that for the people there. Oftentimes, it turns out to be a disaster. That is the propaganda that these soldiers start to believe. When in reality, they're just cannon fodder in a larger geopolitical game. And I think that's, the, the, I, I am 
I have told people before, I am anti-war because I'm pro-soldier. I live in a community of soldiers, and I'm anti-war because I'm pro-soldier. I don't want those guys to go over and get killed or maimed. I don't want those families. I don't want those kids to not have a dad or mom. And that's something we have to think about. If we really war, if we really were interested in humanity, then we should be definitely anti-empire in America and an anti-imperialist foreign policy. And I do like shows like Taking Fire because I think it does show the downside of all of this. This is hard on these young men. And that should give us pause when we're voting, when we're going in to cast our ballot. And we say, all right, what do we want our foreign policy to be? Do we want it to be that? Or do we want it to be something different? Can we protect the United States? Can we protect our borders? Can we protect the citizens of the United States in a different way? And I think we can. And if we can just follow that, go forward with that, I think we'll be in a much better situation moving forward in American uh, political history and American foreign policy than we are now. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClaney Show.